everyone else. Thank your mother, because <laughs> we all have them. Um, uh, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles, today we'll be looking uh, primarily at Acts chapter 15. And while you turn there, let me just uh, recount where we are. Um, so we're finishing a section where Paul and Barnabas have gone on what's often labeled Paul's first missionary journey. Back in chapter 13, um, Paul and Barnabas were set apart by the church in Antioch to go, um, basically, it's a, you know, go wherever the Spirit has instructed them to go, to do what the Spirit had laid it on their heart to do. And so uh, Paul and Barnabas set off from Antioch. They first traversed the length of the island of Cyprus, and then they move up. Um, into central Turkey and then uh, work their way back visiting the churches um, or the Christian communities that they had founded on their way back. And so we'll um, start our reading today at the end of chapter 14 that kind of describes their reception back into the church at Antioch um, and then uh, the difficulties that arise in the church in um, regard to the tremendous response to the gospel by the Gentiles. So we'll um, start uh, in verse 24, and we're not going to do the whole of chapter 15. I'm going to save the last little part um, that, that belongs to um, Paul's second missionary journey, so where Paul and Barnabas go their separate ways. Uh, we'll talk about that next week um, as we look at um, or start to look at Paul's second missionary um, journey. So hear now the word of God from Acts chapter 14, starting verse 24. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Adalia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, 
who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did us, to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And after they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his, own, for his name. And with the, this, the words of the prophets agreed, just as it is written. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogue. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instruction, it has seemed good to us having come to one accord to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. Let's go to him and ask him to open it in our hearts and minds. Gracious God, we thank you for your grace, for your love displayed to us 
that while we were dead in our sins and trespasses, bound by the law that we could not keep, that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to free us from that law by clothing us in his righteousness, by forgiving us our sins, and by uniting us to Christ and to one another through faith the gift that you've given to us by your grace and goodness. Lord, we thank you for the body of believers, your church, how it brings people together, how it unites people from different backgrounds and cultures into one common body, uh, among whom is an equality that all are equal before you, that there isn't a hierarchy of some being more worthy than others, but we're all saved by the same grace. We're all equal before your throne and that you've done the same work in each of us. We thank you for your spirit, how it guides and leads us. We thank you for your scripture, that the spirit leads us into all truth through the words that have been revealed to us from of old. We ask that that same spirit that works in this gathering in Jerusalem to guide uh, the community uh, into what it should do by uh, looking at the work you are doing and saying by your spirit and what you have said of old, that we do the same thing this morning and that same spirit guides us into truth. So we ask for that spirit. Guide us into all that we need to know concerning our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the good news, the gospel that we proclaim concerning him. Help us be faithful um, to you and faithful to our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Give us the spirit of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. All right, so um, way back, in chapter 10, we saw the gospel first openly proclaimed to the, the Gentiles, uh, assembled at Cornelius' house in Caesarea. And then in chapter 11, we saw a, um, this question came up um, about what Peter had done. Um, back in chapter 11, Now the apostles and brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also had received the word of God so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. So back in chapter 11, we saw Peter give a report to the church about the Spirit's work among the Gentiles. And after the speech, the, the church in Jerusalem glorified God, saying, quote, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. So here we are four chapters later. And the question of the Gentiles in the church is, again, promoting um, debate in Jerusalem. So why? What, what circumstances have led that this question about inclusion of Gentiles in the church to come up again? Um, again, they had discussed it four chapters earlier and said, came to this, the Gentiles, the gospel to the Gentiles as well. Um, so why have... Uh, as Luke uh, says in, um, my glasses. in verse 7, after much debate, 
They, this is a lengthy set of discussion that, that Luke is summarizing for us. So yeah, what's led to this renewed discussion? Yeah, Ron. Okay, so that first discussion back in chapter 11, um, yeah, food was part of it, but it, at heart of it was, can Jews have fellowship with Gentiles? You know, and the whole food thing is like, Peter's like, no, I've never eaten or associated with the unclean. Um, and so to even, you know, share a meal with Gentiles was forbidden um, at, uh, to, to Jews. Um, and so we saw that first question, is the gospel for the Gentiles as well? And so the answer was yes. The same spirit that worked in us on the day of Pentecost is doing the same work in their hearts. So the first um, discussion is, um, should Gentiles be included or not? Whereas as you say here, that now the issue is, well, what about circumcision and other matters of the law? How Jewish do Gentile believers have to be? So it's not a question of should they be included, but what's required of them in order to be included. So yeah, the, the subject of the debate has kind of shifted. It's not a question of whether they can be in or, at, or not. Clearly, they can be in. The question is, are there requirements for them to be included in the church? Do they have to do something else in order to be um, full members of the Christian community? Good, what else would you say uh, is prompting this lengthy discussion? Yeah, Linda. Yeah, so here, um, w with that, like, yeah, that you have people who are from one place, are going to another place, and, well, you know, where we are, we do this. You know, so in order to be saved, you have to be circumcised and, and follow the law. Um, and it's, you know, and as they go to this other church that is more heavily Gentile, yeah, that, like, I, you know, stirring them up um, is a good way you know, no small dissension and debate arose, um, you know, that, uh, yeah, they've, they've gone somewhere else and they've, you know, stirred things up. <laughs> um, you know, they've created dissension and debate and, and division where there had previously been uh, uh, great unity amongst the diversity of believers, as we've seen in the Antioch church in prior, chap prior chapters. Um, that's a good question. Um, if you look at 
Paul in Galatians, he kind of distinguishes between some people who are just troublemakers who go and stir up people because of circumcision, uh, you know, that, that and he, he actually labels them kind of as a false party. Whereas, you know, the second group, some believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees. So it's clear that those people are believers. Like, now, there's a lot of debate over whether Gal- Galatians 2 is coincident with Acts 15 or if they're two separate events. Um, but, so it could be e- either one. Um, so it, they could be of the same people. And again, a lot of, there's a lot of people traveling around, um, you know, prophets going from place to place. Like we saw prophets visiting this church in Antioch before. So there's a lot of visitation and intercourse amongst the Christian churches. So it could be that they're of this um, party, as Luke calls it, um, who are former Pharisees that are more um, assiduous about following the law. um, And when they encounter Gentiles, um, or it could be people who are purposely going out and stirring up trouble. I mean, I don't. Um, yeah, I, I don't know that that's Luke's point here, but it could be either or, basically, to answer the question. Um, yeah, how's that for not giving an answer? <laughs> um, you know, and it part of it, the answer depends on, yeah, if you equate Galatians 2 with Acts 15, because in Galatians 2, Paul refers to two different pe- sets of people that are creating difficulty about circumcision. Some are true believers, um, you know, Jewish believers who are wrestling with this as an, you know, a real issue, like as we, as we talked about back in chapter 10, how hard it is for someone culturally Jewish who has spent their life um, keeping Gentiles at arm length now to be in the same community with them. People who spent their whole life um, identified by keeping the law of Moses to now have parts of that law disregarded um, is, is going to be sincerely troubling for them, and it's going to be a, a difficult transition for them to get over. And then there are other people who, seeing that there is a tension within the church, are going in and trying to actively create trouble, um, knowing that there's already you know, some divide here, you know, present in the church. So, yeah, um, it, you know, there, there are definitely those two different groups present. Now, whether he's making a distinction between them here or not isn't clear. That would be my response. Yeah, Jay.
Yeah, so, and, and what, you know, this is revealing that there is tension, debate. This, Luke is not presenting a utopian, idealistic church where it's all, you know, great all the time. No, that there are divisions, there, there's debate, um, there's dissension, there's split. They don't, you know, you have, and this is um, here, you know, when you have people from different cultures, like, yeah, what, what is that common community going to look like when people are coming into that community with very different cultural understandings of how they relate to God? And it's, it's creating tension. Just like, you know, in our time, you know, it creates tension. So, um, yeah, so I love how consistent this is with human nature <laughs> um, and with the story that Christ presents that, you know, that's, you know, it's, you're all going to be in this common uh, church, but there's, there's going to be, there will be divides among you. So how do you settle these things? Um, and as we get into how they proceed in the, in the council, we can, um, particularly with looking at what Peter and James say, you know, we see how, what's the process. All right, so when these kind of issues come up, how does a church go about resolving these differences? Um, and so um, establishing this, you know, it's, it's not one person's authority that's, you know, stamped stamping, no, this is what you do. It's not a, it's the church coming together under the guidance of the Spirit. They talk through it. Um, again, it's, Luke is, is, is giving us, you know, a very uh, quick um, uh, sense of the discussion that's going on, but he, he says, after much <laughs> debate, like, it's, they spend a lot of time talking through it, um, and and coming to a decision, what do we do with this tension that exists within the church? Other things, uh, kind of generally, before we start digging into um, how they settle this tension? Yeah, Becky. Because circumcision goes back to Abraham. Even though they say, you know, circumcised according to the customs of Moses, circumcision actually predates, um, you know, the Mosaic law. So, yeah. So, you know, it's something that has, you know, from the beginning of their identity as a distinct people. You know, Abraham is the father of Israel. So from that beginning, they have been marked by circumcision. That has been the thing that has set them apart from all the nations around them. It has been an integral part of their identity um, as Jews. Yeah, 
there's, and as we'll get into as we look at the, you know, the speeches that um, particularly James emphasizes continuity, that, you know, this isn't something totally new, that this is something, you know, connected to old, but Peter says the same thing as well, like the, you know, Jews weren't saved by circumcision or by the law, you know, it's the same basis for faith, or it's the same basis of the grace of God, you know, um, and, and this heart-filled response in faith that saves people, not the works of their hands, not obedience to the law. So, um, yes, there's something very different about practice um, in this new community, but the principle um, has been there all along. You know, that same promise to, to Abraham, um, you know, he's given the sign of circumcision. He's also told that, you know, this, um, this covenant is for you so that all nations will be blessed through your seed. Like, so, you know, it, from the beginning, like, it, it creates this exclusive um, uh, covenant community at first, but the intention all along was for that covenant community to expand to include the peoples of the earth. And so, yeah, it is a, a very difficult growing pain as they transition from the expression of a, of a covenant whose promises were particularly uh, given initially to, um, to this, this one group of, of people, but the blessings were always intended to be for all the nations. And as we kind of move into this you know, latter stage that the prophets all look forward to, where you know, the nations, like when we talk in Isaiah, um, when we look at Isaiah 2, he has this picture of the nations of the earth streaming uphill, words describing water coming to Jerusalem to be to be part of the people of God. So, um, you know, it's a, a new moment. Um, but, you know, that transition causes tension. You cannot be saved. Like, you know, like it's logically impossible for them to think, how can you be saved if you have not had the the sign of the covenant placed upon you? Like, um, so it's an enormous change. Um, and to give you a sense, like, uh, again, um, you know, Luke is narrating things, e even though it's only four chapters since the events of chapter 11, most people estimate it's about 10 years. Um, since what happened in Caesarea. So, the, so if we, you know, again, uh, hard to 
date things precisely, but most people say you first have conversion of Gentiles around 40 A.D. So this is taking place around 50 A.D. So again, we get a, a range of dates, but roughly a decade um, has has taken place. You know, so and in that intervening decade, you know, you've had this growth, tremendous growth of the gospel amongst Gentiles, and you know. Do they have to be Jews before they can become a Christian? Um, and that is, do they have to undergo the ritual initiation into Judaism in order for them to be part of the Christian community? Um, and that is the, you know, they're meeting together to, to discuss this question. And, and, you know, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. This is the question. Do they have to become Jews in order to become Christians? So let's uh, look at how they go about. So again, there's a lot of debate going on, um, but Luke uh, recounts just two kind of speeches um, uh, of, of presumably lots of words that were spoken in Jerusalem, we get two brief speeches, first Peter um, and then uh, James. So for the third time, <laughs> um, Peter gives a description of what takes place in Cornelius's house. So, um, you know, or the third time Luke gives us a description. So like in Acts chapter 10, he tells the story. In Acts chapter 11, Peter tells the story of what happened. And then here, Peter tells the story again <laughs> of what happened um, in Cornelius's house. Um, so how does Peter's speech contribute to this debate over circumcision? What does he emphasize to help settle this question? Yeah, Linda. Yeah, that God, and notice the subject, like, is of his speech. God made a choice. Like, I didn't go, you know, this wasn't me, <laughs> you know, that got in my, you know, Peter going off on one of his uh, wild adventures again. No, God chose me, like, and to go back to 10, like, you know, he, he, God's hand is very heavy on that moment. Um, directing people through visions, he's directing Peter through visions, he's preparing Cornelius through visions, like he is moving all the pieces really openly, um, that it is God's open work that's brought this about, and the same spirit that God gave to us, he gave to them, and he gave it to them before they had been circumcised, like they've received the same gracious act of God before, like there were no conditions there were no prior things they had to meet in order to receive this gift of God. Um, you know, it's God's, the result of God's choice and God's work in their hearts. Good. What else um, does Peter stress in here? Yeah, Tim.
yeah, having this moral law um, hasn't made them moral. <laughs> it hasn't made them righteous. It's actually been the, the thing that has shown them over and over again and led them to judgment over and over again. Like, what's the story of the Old Testament? Um, you know, God telling the people what to do. The people don't do it. <laughs> God judges them. Um, they repent and come back to God. They recommit themselves to what God has told them to do and then repeat. <laughs> Rinse and repeat. <laughs> um, it, it, it hasn't delivered them from the fundamental problem, which is the sinfulness of the human heart. You know, and in fact, it's, it's, it's been a, a burden. You know, it's emphasized the burden they have to bear. Like, I love how John Bunyan in Pilgrim's Progress kind of, you know, uses this idea of it's this, you know, thing that he's trying to carry that he can't. Like, and he's stuck because this burden has pushed him down. <laughs> um, and he has to be delivered by something external. That burden has to remo be removed. And so it establishes the moral code. It establishes what righteousness is, but nobody can ever, uh, in the history of Israel, on their own merit, have, have you know, bridged the gap. Um, you know, this is what you need to do. This is the standard. And no one's ever made it. Um, so... Yeah, so Peter's saying, why are we trying to put something on them that we ourselves haven't been able to bear? We believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they did. Salvation, it's not you know, one path of salvation for the Jews and another path of salvation for the Gentiles. It's the same means that saves, delivers both. You know, it's the same work of God on their behalf that's delivering Jew and Gentile alike. Um, so the purpose of circumcision for Jews was never to save them or deliver them. Um, salvation always came through the work of God's grace in the midst of their sinfulness. Yeah, Ron. Yeah, they've been given these eyes to recognize the work of Christ through the Spirit in their present circumstances. And again, the way that Luke emphasizes, you know, Paul and Barnabas, they're making this trip, and they're, they're the whole way, like, you know, everywhere they're going, they're describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. Like every way, they're telling the story. Like you know, we like when we bring missionaries here, and missionaries tell us about great things that God is doing, and other parts of the world that, wow, 
I didn't know that that was happening. Like the, you know, recognizing the work of Christ, um, the, you know, this gospel that's going forward in these other places, and it's being received um, by these Gentiles. God is doing great things, um, you know, among these peoples of the earth, um, just as God has done great things to us. Like they, you know, they've experienced Christ, they've experienced the Holy Spirit, and they are they are attuned to recognize Christ and the work of the Spirit and other people. Good. Anything else you want to say about Peter's speech before we get into James? So Peter stands up, and again, for the third time, <laughs> tells what had happened back in Cornelius, but with this emphasis on, you know, you know the punchline, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they did. That it's God's grace, not the law's, that saves us. Um, and then, uh, you know, Luke doesn't tell us what Barnabas and Paul say. He gives us that summary. You know, again, they declare all the signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. And then we get James's speech. So James um, has this, uh, you know, um, reputation of being of the more Jewish party of the church. So, um, uh, so yeah, so as we think about James's address, how does James's speech, and James, you know, as Luke presents it, it's James who kind of brings about the decision of this, this gathering, right? You know, um, you know, he delivers what he thinks, and then they do exactly what, um, in his judgment, he thinks is best. They followed James. Um, so what is, uh, um, how does James' speech help settle the matter at hand? Um, what does he contribute to this debate? So, he what? Yeah, so um, so if if Peter is giving a, a, a you know a report, Peter and Paul and Barnabas are all reporting on what God is doing now. Um, James is going back to the scriptures and saying, you know, finding the scriptural prophetic promise that you know is being fulfilled in their midst. So yeah, he's going to prophets. He's going to scripture in order to kind of settle, you know, we look at the scripture and we see the fulfillment, you know, these reports represent the fulfillment of what God had foretold, you know, and with this, the words of the prophets agree. So yeah, we've got their experience, but their experience is confirmed by the words of scripture. Um, yes, yes.
Yeah, and if you're engaged in, you know, um, the uh, you know sexual immorality, like you know, like this section right here um, is kind of what Matthew's been working through <laughs> in First Corinthians, like you know, in addressing this church at Corinth, like. Um, yeah, you're doing things that even the Gentiles find. Uh, you're doing things sexually that even the Gentiles find offensive. Like, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, yeah, that, but you know, distinguishing between all right, what what has changed, um, and what what you know standard of righteousness r- remains. You know, and it's again, he's not presenting abstain from these things in order to be saved, but. If you are saved and you're part of this Christian community, you should abstain from these things. Like, you know, um, you know, again, putting the law in its proper use. Um, you know, the law isn't there to save. Um, the law exists for this other purpose for the believer. It's not there as a means of salvation. So yeah, making a distinction between all right. What can we give on, and and what is going to be um, non-negotiable? And again, uh, I was thinking a lot, um, you know, the way uh, Jerry and I used to talk about this when 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 he was pastoring, and then I see the same thing with Matthew. Like we'll study something, and he'll preach on something, and there'll be so much <laughs> like uh, <laughs> intertwined that we didn't plan at all. <laughs> like there was no planning in this. It's God's spirit, like you know, uh, helping these conversations uh, intermix. Um, and there, so it's like, you know, okay, like you're free to do, you know, you're freed from the works of the law, but you should abstain from these things for these other purposes. Like, you know, it's like you are set free in Christ, but, you know, that liberty does, doesn't issue forth into license. Um, that liberty doesn't, um, you know, shouldn't lead to a, ha-ha, I can do this and you can't, like, you know, a means to divide people. Like, he's, as we've seen in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, like, willing to surrender some of your rights in order to not be offensive to your fellow Christians. Like, um, you know, that, yeah, sure, like, we know meat sacrificed to idols, an idol's nothing, it means nothing, but it means something to this person over here. Um, so don't, if you don't knowingly do it, if it's going to be a stumbling block to your brother. Um, and, you know, it's, yeah, in and of itself, it's, it's meaningless. But it has meaning to them. And so you, even though you can do it because it's meaningless, uh, you shouldn't do it because it creates a stumbling block for someone over here. Um, I like. I wrote down. John Stott um, actually had a nice, um, yeah, you know, summarized this. On the one hand, salvation by grace is an issue of Christian truth that is not to be compromised. No particular work of the law was added as a requirement for salvation or for membership in the new community. Salvation cannot be a matter of human works. It's about receiving God's grace from start to finish. Faith means relying on what only on what God has provided in terms of forgiveness and the benefits of salvation that come with it. On the other hand, Christian fellowship means that grace should be shown for differences that are not central to the truth of salvation as an expression of love. 
So, you know, it's like, you know, you know on the one hand, it's faith alone. We see that with Peter's um, address. But on the other hand, don't do things that are going to be offensive to, to your, your fellow Jewish believers. Like, you know, it's, it's like, yep, not, you know, it's, it's fine for you not to be circumcised because, you know, it, that's not a means of salvation. Salvation comes only through God's work of grace and gift of faith. Um, but on the other hand, you shouldn't do things that are, are going to be um, offensive and divisive um, to these Jewish believers who hold these things dear. Which again, like I, I love how he's not saying, you know, he's not saying you know, all the things that these, you know, he's not saying the point isn't circumcision bad or good and that Jews shouldn't circumcise anymore. That's not the point. Um, the point is Gentiles shouldn't have to be circumcised. It's not condemning Jews for continuing to circumcise. Um, it's removing this, you know, re- as a requirement for salvation, as a requirement for inclusion within the community of believers. That's the point. Um, Jews can, 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 you know, Jewish believers can still continue to practice these things. They don't have to, you know, give up on things they're doing, but they have to understand what they're there for, um, what their true purpose is, and not make them a requirement on other Gentile believers. Uh, you know, really trying to blend together these two very different cultures. To these things in particular, um, yeah. So that's a good question. Um, you know, I think as we look at these things, um, you know, most of them are one one school of interpretation emphasizes the uh, cultic dimension of these things. That these things aren't just you know abstain from eating blood, but you know, blood as part of you know, continuing to engage in the ritual practices involved in the worship of um, of idols. You know, of you know all these uh, you, know, you know throughout the Gentile world, like all these kinds of you know, and as Matthew's been saying, like food in the marketplace, all this stuff is coming out of their ritual practice of sacrificing to the gods. Um, so it's not just you know food matters; it's food matters connected to idolatrous worship. Um, and some people even say the sexual immorality that, or sexual uh, impurity that he's talking about here is you know, cultic prostitution. Like, so you can't continue to engage in practices and worshiping another god and you know, 
be a faithful Christian most. You, know, you have to surrender. So one school's interpretation emphasizes you know, that dimension. Um, the other, or another way people have taken it is looking through that, as you say, you know, um, for from ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogue. Um, so another way of interpreting it, you know, emphasizes what are those things going to be, you know, for people who have had these things read to them week after week after week after week, like their entire lives, it's been drilled into them. Like, what are the things that are going to be most visibly upsetting to them? Like, you know, and again, like, think of, of people sharing tables together. Go back to that original description of the church. Like they're gathering together, they're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to um, breaking bread together, to the fellowship, and to prayer. Like you know, these are the things that are describing the Christian community. Like that breaking bread together is going to be very difficult if you've got one group of people serving something completely and totally offensive. To someone else, <laughs> you know, that is going to be like of the practices, the things the church does. That is where there's going to be real open division. So some people take that last little line as this kind of four: don't do these things that are going to be super culturally offensive to Jewish believers in the day. Um, so there's kind of two different ways people have, have come at it. One kind of, well, he's telling them to avoid these things because of their, uh, you know, connection to false idol worship. Um, or other people emphasize these are the places, you know, that are things that are going to be the most visibly and openly offensive to Jewish believers in the same community. So for people who are devoted to the law and, you know, avoid these things because those are going to be the things that, you know, are, are most offensive to them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The other one. <laughs> yeah, which is why I think some people kind of emphasize the more kind of cultic dimension. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, our Scottish friends with their blood pudding. Sorry. <laughs> no haggis. Um, um, yeah, and again, like, um, you know, and to think of it as not one party, you know, um, people have often talked about James's, um, you know, 
decision as a compromise. Like, all right, like these are the non-essentials that we can have some give on and so you know, make these kind of compromises. But these are things that are essential. Um, and you know, to think about the way that Paul in Galatians like talks about, well, why no circumcision? Um, so in, in Galatians uh, chapter 5, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Like this, you know, don't put the same yoke on Gentiles that was on us. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You've fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Um, and as we see, like, this settlement, it's like, you know, it's faith is the, you know, the essential, the essential truth. The working through love, can, can lead to accepting these restrictions of these other things. And we need to end, so maybe next time we can spend a little time looking at the Antioch church's response. But notice that, you know, when they hear this, you know, they don't, you know, throw up their hands and like, wait, we, we're free. We can't give, you know, we don't want to give up these things. When they had it read, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's intended as this way to you know, compromise um, with these cultural differences without compromising on the essential that unites everybody together. And that essential, that thing that makes them all equal is they all share a common faith in Jesus Christ as their only basis for their salvation. Uh, let's close Gracious God, we do thank you for the work of Christ, that he has freed us from a yoke that we could not carry, from burden that we could not bear, um, and that he has um, given us his righteousness, a righteousness that we could have never obtained, and reconciled us to you, made peace uh, between uh, humanity, um, through, through, between believers and God. But that same uh, peace that you make uh, bring about, that same reconciliation also is between um, people and other people, that you are bridging the barriers that separate uh, cultures from one another, and you're uniting us in one common community, and that sometimes to serve those in, our com in, in that common community that we surrender some of the things that we're free to do um, for the sake of others. Um, and we pray that you would help us to have that kind of awareness, um, to not give offense, um, but to hold um, firmly to the central truth of the gospel, that salvation comes through Christ alone, um, and not look to the works of human hands to deliver us, to not
not to look at the works of our righteousness to save us, but to rest on his full and finished work on our behalf. Help this word, um, as we see this debate and division in the early church, be uh, and how they settled it, be a matter of encouragement and joy to us, uh, even as we come in this coming hour to worship you, celebrating your work uh, that you've done for us to deliver us from death and to give us eternal life in Jesus.